when you love yourself as much as you care what other people think of you, you'll change your life and you'll truly be free. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks, cut from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt. Welcome to the Decoding Success Podcast with your host, Matt Labrie, as we dive into a conversation with Jen Gottlieb on how to find your voice, build our brand, and live out our dreams. But before diving into the engaging conversation that's to come, we want to make sure that we say thank you for joining us and express how excited we are to amplify the stories, the wisdom, the experiences, the tips, and all of that good stuff from Jen today. As always, I'm going to put this out there early. Sharing this message can have a true impact on somebody's life. Tremendous impact. Whether it be a coworker, family member, or anyone in between, share this episode. If you post it on social, make sure that you tag Jen and myself so we can say thank you. And most importantly, what we're going to be learning in this episode, just to name a few things and get you jazzed up. Number one, why we need to raise our internal thermostat for what we believe we are worth achieving before we crash, burn, and sabotage what has already been achieved. Number two, how to overcome comparison-itis and utilize it and things like FOMO as fuel for achieving what we desire. Number three, identifying the tiny step you need to take in your life right now to create a wicked amount of momentum and motivation for the things in your life to start snowballing in a positive direction. Number four, the healthy balance of imitating to innovate when you're putting in the repetition to find your voice. Number five, why we need to be open to redirection from the universe when it comes to our dreams and pursuing them. When we look back, we can connect the dots. We might not be able to looking forward. So if you feel like you're a little confused, this point is for you. And of course, there is so much more to come than just this. But now, without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Jen Gottlieb. Jen, what's up? Hi, how you doing? Are you in New York City? I am. I didn't know that. I'm in New York City. Shut up. Where? I'm born and raised in Queens. So where are you right now? In Queens? I'm in Queens. Yeah, I have a studio in Williamsburg. We totally could have done this in person. I didn't know. So you know what's funny? I was going to ask you because I saw your Instagram post and you tagged New York and I thought you were just like here for an event. I didn't. Do you live here? Yeah. This is my house. Oh, I did not know that. I live on the Upper West Side. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's going to yeah. cost me a toll to get to the Upper West Side soon, I hear. <laughs> it's all good. It probably is easier to make this happen virtually anyway. For sure. So, for sure. So cool. But I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, likewise. Do you have any questions? I mean, I'm already recording. I keep it Amazing. super chill. Okay. Yeah. So let's just start. Like, how are you? Like, what's going on in your life? I saw that you were speaking at an event. I'm sure you have a million and one things going on. But like, how are you? I'm fabulous. I'm really good. It's interesting because if I were to look at like all the stuff on the calendar as a version of myself, like maybe four or five years ago, I would probably be like, you're not capable of all of that. And that's going to be overwhelming. And you're going to get so burnt out. But everyone asks me, they're like, how are you with like all the stuff you're doing every other day? You're traveling. Aren't you burnt out? And I'm like, the biggest lesson I think I've learned this year is that when you're doing stuff you genuinely like to do, you don't get burnt out. I actually am like, I'm just jazzed. I'm like, grateful right now. So many opportunities. I get to meet cool people like you and then go speak at cool events and travel and see like all of my awesome friends all over the place. And uh, so far, so good. 
and I'll, I'll text you if I get do get burnt out. But I'm just really grateful right now. I feel very blessed. I love that. I'm curious. One thing that I actually, and I'm pretty sure you're friends with Craig Siegel. One thing I was actually, I was just like reviewing an episode that I did with him. And we talked about something that he struggled with, which was essentially what you just alluded to, right? Like seeing your calendar, knowing how much you have going on there. How do you ensure that you remain present, like right here in this moment for this particular episode versus like the example we were talking about was if you have like a date on the calendar, it's your first date, first time going out with someone. It's like a big event in your mind. You could be like future forecasting to that particular event, or maybe it's a speaking engagement that you just had yesterday, whatever it is. How do you ensure that you are not there, but here? Mm. Well, I don't ensure it because I'm a human. And I think that we all do that in some capacity. Like sometimes we'll have a moment where we future cast or we're thinking about something that's not in the current present moment. So I don't ever want to say like, I'm perfect. I never do that. I do. You know, (laughs) we're, we're entrepreneurs, we're running around, uh, we're, we're doing a zillion things. And so there's always going to be a point in time where I'm like, oh shit, bring it back. I have a couple of mantras that I love that I've been really using lately to be more present because I find that the more present I can be in the moment, the less overwhelmed. I get because if you're just where your feet are and you're exactly where you are, you can't possibly get overwhelmed because overwhelm comes from fear of not being able to handle all the things that are coming that didn't even come yet. But if you're just here, we're just here having a conversation. I don't get tired or scared or overwhelmed that I can't handle it because here. So I love this mantra and it's, it's funny where I heard it. It's not mine. I did not make it up. I listen to bedtime stories, this really cool bedtime story uh, Spotify podcast every night before I go to bed. And it's this lovely woman who just tells these bedtime stories that are boring. It's called Nothing Much Happens. And it literally is nothing much happens. And she has a soothing voice. But one thing she always says, I'm like, this is genius. She says, first this, then that. And every time I start to get like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to handle this day. Holy crap. There's like yesterday was crazy. Like speaking, 90 minute training with my mastermind, going to dinner with friends, two different meetings with team members. Like that. And if I looked at it, like before the day happened, I probably would have freaked out, canceled things, taken things off the calendar, said to myself, I can't handle all of that. So let's make it easier on you. But instead, I was like, you know what? You're always more capable than you think. You're going to end up in your bed no matter what. Whether you do all the things or you don't, you're still going to end up in your bed. So I like to end up in my bed thinking I'm proud of myself today. I stuck to my commitments and I did everything rather than shit. I could have done those things. I'm here now. It's over. I could have done them and I didn't push through. So I'm really, really strict with myself with sticking with my commitments and proving that I can do it on the other side. Like when I'm like looking up at the ceiling at night and listening to my bedtime stories. And then when I'm really not present, I will just say, okay, Jen, first this, then that. And I just sit first this. So we'll have this conversation. And then I can move on to all the other 85 things I'm doing in the day. But first this. (laughs) I love that. One thing that I hear from you and correct me if I'm wrong, but like I hear a radical acceptance for who you are currently. And just from knowing what you've shared with the world in conversations, I was actually just watching an interview with you. It almost sounded like in past gen where you were on VH1 or you were in a character, it was almost as if you were hiding your authentic self. And like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm really curious how you bridge that gap to the point where now you just have a radical acceptance for who you are and like what comes up. It was a journey. Still is a journey, right? We're still growing into, I mean, figuring out who that, I feel like now I know who, I guess you'd call it like your authentic self. Like, what is that really anyway? It's just, you know, Mm. who you are. But I think there's a lot of versions of that that people have made up in their head. And I never want to be the one that's like, I've got it all figured out. You know, like I've got it. Yeah, I was one person then and I was totally fake. Now I'm completely authentic and amazing and totally present in every conversation. I'm I'm a human. And I think that Mm. I like what you said, radical acceptance. The more that I learn to appreciate myself and accept myself, 
for everything that I am, including my flaws and not getting it completely right and allowing myself to be like, okay, it's okay. You're human. You can have that human experience because that experience of maybe not being totally present or maybe being inauthentic for a hot second and catching it, or maybe, you know, trying something and failing and messing up or investing in something and it doesn't work out or investing in a relationship and and maybe hiring somebody under your team and it ends up being the wrong hire or whatever it is that you're doing in your life that maybe you screwed up and you failed. Give yourself permission to have that failure or that mess up or not being perfect because there is so much learning and growth that comes from those moments. It really stems from like the speed at which I can recognize the growth from it. So I can mm. say, oh, Jen, you were not present during that conversation. Holy shit, that was bad. Like, okay, we have moments when life gets lifey or like that happened and I had no control over that and that sucks. Instead of being like, oh, you're imperfect and like whatever, like hard on myself. Okay, you're a human being. What can we learn from this immediately? Like what's the mm. lesson? Because there's always growth on the other side and it's just equipping you to be better and better. And the more that I can do it, the better I get at it. Meaning the more I can forgive myself and the more I can allow myself to be imperfect. A great example is like, I go live on Instagram every day and put my makeup on. I don't know if you ever see it, like every day. I wear this like cow headband on my head and I have no makeup on my face and I put my makeup on and I answer questions. I do Q&A Monday through Friday, every day, no matter what. If you would have told me five years ago that I would do that, I would have said, you are crazy. There is no way on the planet I would ever go live on social media, let alone go live on social media with no makeup. Like that is not (laughs) happening. And I do it. And the reason that I can do it now, and I love it, it's my favorite thing that I do because I get to connect with my community and answer questions. I learn so much from their questions, what what people want to know, what they want to hear. But the reason that I can do it now is because I have a lot of practice doing it, moving to the other side, getting to the end of the night when I'm in my bed and I'm like, oh. That discomfort was temporary, but now I'm a little bit better for it because I I accomplished the thing I was afraid to do. And the more that you face the thing that you're afraid to do or the uncomfortable thing or the just like self-actualization and realization that you're a human and it's okay to mess up, the better that you get at it and the kinder you can be to yourself along your journey and the more that you learn. So it's just gigantic learning process for me. I love that. Now, my intention for this next question is purely to build like resonance within the people that are listening to this. So I'm really curious to understand why you were potentially not accepting yourself VH1 days or acting days. Like what was the reason you felt like you weren't accepting yourself? It's such a good question. I think at that time, there was a lot of attention placed on for me, at least like my worth was wrapped up in what it all looked like. And I think that probably comes from like what it all looked like from the outside. A lot of like physically what I look like. I know that we're often, and this is just society, women, especially like in the nineties, when I grew up and like early two thousands, women were celebrated for the way that they look. Mm-hmm. And there was, it, that's just like, and there was a lot of fat phobia and there was a lot, there was a lot going on during that time. That's not, thank God, not as prevalent now, but it was pretty bad. And I'm not blaming that for me wanting to get attention via the way that I looked or feeling that that was the only way that I was really like worthy or I felt love, but that was you know, in, in my book, Be Seen, I tell a, like the story of like when I was a little girl and I was just completely unapologetic about who I was. Like I was so real, Jen, it's not even funny. Like I was singing and dancing on every table. I let my belly hang out. Like I never brushed my hair. I like was the biggest tomboy. I was such a goofball and so overly unapologetic of exactly who I was, the weirdest kid ever. And then I got to middle school. My parents got divorced. My dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and my quote unquote, like I had a very great family growing up. 
like great. Like my mom, my dad, like they wanted everything for me. It's like Jenny got all the attention, right? I was, I was definitely like spoiled with attention and love. And I'm so grateful that I grew up with that experience. But when shit hit the fan in my family and they started to break apart, my dad was diagnosed with this illness and my mom went and got this other boyfriend in New York and everything started crumbling. I was like, whoa, I need attention from somewhere. I'm really not feeling it right now. And let's go get it in middle school from the cool girls. And I fell into this accept me, accept me popular kids. What do I have to do fit in? So I decided to just start to become a chameleon. And I did everything that I could to stop being who I really was and the stuff that made me unique and different and funny and out there and weird and all of that. Sure. I pushed that away. And I tried to be like all of these girls and tried to be what the, what the cool boys also needed me to be, to get attention from them. And I got really wrapped up in that. I developed a massive eating disorder and I lost all my confidence in myself and really was after validation and attention in all the wrong places. And that really was a big part of like in my acting career, I love the art of being on stage and acting and performing. But there is a part of that industry when you're just trying to get a job that is like, you need to look a certain way. You need to be a certain way in order for them to pick you. And definitely fell into that, especially once I got cast on that metal show. And I knew that the audience of that show really wanted me to look and act and be a certain way in order for me to keep that job and stay relevant. And it was a great job. You know, yes, it was completely out of alignment from who I was, but I was an actor. And I needed a job and it was great. So I did whatever I needed to do. And as I did that, I just continued like my inner knowing knew that there was something very wrong. And so I just was in this internal battle with myself all the time. And that led to a severe depression and being unbelievably out of alignment. And that was when I think like for me, like everyone believes in something different, whatever. For me, it was God stepped in and just like, I'm like, we need to fix something. I'm going to shake things up a bit. We're taking Mm -hmm. away this show. We're taking away this guy. We're taking away everything. You need to start over and you need to figure out who you are. Right. And that was like the shit to shift moment. Yeah. I definitely want to touch on that, like finding out who you are, but I want to go backwards for just a quick second. You talked about like the societal pressures that you had felt in the nineties, 2000, et cetera, as you were growing up. And then you also mentioned that you felt like they were stronger back then, but I I actually want to play a little devil's advocate here. Do you feel like they were stronger back then? Or do you feel like you are just resilient enough to not fall into them today? You know what? It's so funny. I watched this reel this morning on Instagram about, it was about Britney Spears. And when she had that comeback and she was on the MTV awards uh, dancing after her breakdown and she was a little bit thicker and she, you know, she, she had come back and like, there was so much fat shaming and Mm. that would have never happened today. Like the cover of all the magazines were people saying how fat she was and she just looked like a normal woman. Like she didn't look fat at all. And someone was actually talking about that this morning. I was like, wow, that wouldn't happen today. However, it's a totally different landscape today in the world of Instagram filters and face tuning and the Instagram models and wanting, you know, it's a totally different thing. And I do think that I am much, much more confident in who I am and loving myself for who I am. Would I be like, I absolutely sometimes fall into the scroll. And I think that anyone watching this in whatever way, whether that is the way you look, the, uh, your family, your traveling, your money, your business, whatever it is, I think everyone could probably, if they really like checked in and said, do I do this? I think that everybody does. I think it's the world in which we live where you find yourself scrolling and there is a subconscious comparisonitis thing that happens no matter what. And it has changed the way that we do things, the way we perceive things, the way we think about things. And I'm just so blessed actually that this didn't exist when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18. Sure. I think it would have been way, way, way worse. So I do think that you make a really great point that I'm much more equipped to deal with this than I was when I was a teenager. It would have been 
probably very bad. Yeah. No, I get that. It's definitely tough. I'm guilty of everything that we're talking about, by the way. Like I, I'm human being, right? Like we all fall yeah. into it. Yeah. So talk to me about how you started to discover who you are at your core. Like I, I refer to that process as like homecoming, right? Because I resonate with everything you're saying. External validation, seek the love outside of yourself, how you look, the car you drive, the watch you wear, the bottles you pop at, the club in the meatpacking district, all of it. Like I've been there. <laughs> yeah. like, we, it, it's a part of it. What was your process like to come back home to who you are and start to identify as that person and love that person, most importantly? It was a really long process. And I think that the process is going to be continuous throughout the rest of my life, always coming to a really even higher version of self-love. I hope so. I hope I can keep learning more and more and more. But I wish I could tell you that like the moment that that happened when I lost the show and I lost the guy and I found myself in like that tiny little room with the six other actors, I was just like a phoenix rising from the ashes. And I was like, I'm going to now find myself. (laughs) I was really, really, really depressed. And my mom is, I have a really wonderful, caring mother. And she, I'm very blessed to have someone that cares enough to like come into the city. She came in and she's like, I don't know what to do with you. She took me to dinner. And my mom at the time, or my mom still, she's into personal development big time. I was not at all. Okay. My mom was a Reiki master. And I was like, mom, whatever with your woo woo stuff. No, it's not for me. (laughs) And she took me to dinner and she hands me this book called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. And it's a book full of affirmations, any kind of affirmation you could ever imagine for whatever you want to heal in your life. My mom is very smart. She knew I was not going to read that book. She knew I was just not open to it. So she photocopied one of the affirmations in the book. And on the back of the photocopy, she wrote, Dear Jenny, I hope you find yourself again. Mm. And I go home and I open this book. I'm like, oh my God, mom, you knew. She knew I wasn't going to read it. So I took this affirmation and I put it on my refrigerator in my little apartment. And I was like, all I'm going to do is read this stupid affirmation every day. Like, I'm just whatever. Even if I don't believe in it, I'm just going to read it every day. I, that's We'll see, mom. We'll see if this stupid stuff works. You know, like so anti it, but like had a little bit of belief, like a little bit of hope. And that's what I usually tell people. Like, you don't need 100% of belief. You just need a little bit to get that first action step out of the way. And so I started reading this affirmation every day out loud, every morning. And I don't know if it was the actual affirmation or if it was the act of sticking to one commitment every day, like doing something that felt like I did it every day that slowly but surely got me out of my apartment, got me to Barnes and Noble to be sitting on the floor, reading every book under the sun. It got me to walking for miles and miles and miles, listening to podcasts and listening to personal development and expanding and opening and searching. Because I think the first step is to just like acknowledge, like, I don't know who I am and I need to figure it out, but I don't even know what to do. So I just started listening and reading everything that there was. And I became a student of this stuff. It's crazy because I look back and I'm like, I am the product of personal development in a big way. I've had a lot of great therapists, done a lot of work in that way, but really I'm the product of personal development, books and podcasts. And I started to take action slowly and and I started to build a new business and I started to get myself out there and I started to transform and allow myself to truly be seen as me. It was scary as hell, but I did it like one uncomfortable action step at a time. And each time I did something scary and proved to myself that I could do it, just like we were talking about in the beginning, I became a little bit more confident and I could do it again. That got me to events. That got me to launching my business. That got me to meeting my husband. And it all was just like one step after another. It didn't happen immediately, but it was one tiny step at a time. I love that. So you talked about the resistance you had with the affirmation and even more than the affirmation, right? Just like the lifestyle that you were around with your mother. I'm curious to learn if there was a particular moment where your belief started to shift when you were reading that affirmation or was it just compounded over time? 
It's a really good question. I think it was definitely compounded over time, but I do remember moments when I would read it because now I read affirmations all the time. I create my own, I write my own, but there were moments when I would read it in the morning where it would make me physically feel better. Like I would read it and I would be like surprised, like I physically feel better right now. All is well in my world. That was the last line of the affirmation. All is well. All is well in my world. That's kind of like saying like first this, then that. Like right now, everything is okay. All is well in my world. And that would help me. And I'd be like, okay, right now I'm okay. And it would physically help me to get that first action step. So what I tell people, motivation, momentum, all of that is not created magically by sitting around and thinking about it. It's actually created by doing the tiniest little step and getting a win. Whatever that win is, maybe it's that win of just feeling for a second, wow, okay, I feel okay right now. That's a win. You did something that you didn't necessarily want to do. You got a win. And that makes you a little bit addicted to getting a little tiny win. So you have a little bit of motivation to go do that next action step. And that next action step will get you another little win. Then, whoa, holy crap. All right. I'm feeling confident now. I could go do another one. That's how you create motivation and momentum. The hardest part is that first action step. And you got to just push yourself to be disciplined enough to do it, even though you really don't want to. And it pays so many dividends over time. Absolutely. Now, do you feel like people need to get to quote unquote rock bottom to start coming back home as you were just alluding to? You know, you mentioned like the depression and making all of those shifts, like leaving the guy, this, that, the other. Maybe that wasn't necessarily rock bottom in your life, but it was a low point, you would say, I'm, I'm assuming. Do we need to get to that point to start making that shift and then take action? Or can someone listening to this like not be there and potentially avoid that? I 100% believe that you can, every day is a new opportunity to reinvent yourself and come back home. Mm. Every single day. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you are at the highest high point of your life. Often when we're at really, really high highs, that's when we need to step into it even more. This is something interesting that I've been really exploring a lot in a big way, especially with our members in our community. And then even with myself and my husband, like sometimes when it gets a little too good, we get really scared. We actually mm. subconsciously sabotage ourselves. It's what self-sabotage. I'm sure you're familiar with that, right? It gets so good. And then we're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. It can't be this good. Something <laughs> bad's going to happen, right? Whether it's conscious or subconscious. We're like, something bad's going to happen. So I'm going to step away from all of this momentum and motivation. I'm going to take a step back because I'm a little afraid of this getting too good because something bad is going to happen. Yeah. Or if it gets too good, I won't be able to handle all of this. We start to make up all this crap that we can't can't get that successful. So we have this like upper limit where we're stuck and we can't get past that level of success. So yes, I think that you're it's always a good time to reinvent, to come back home, to have that to step into a different action step to create more motivation, to go to Barnes and Noble and start reading books, to open up the podcast, whatever. But when you're doing really well, I think it's actually an even more important time to do it. So my husband and I play this game and like when we're in like sometimes, believe me, it's not always like sometimes like just bad shit's happening. It's like it's getting lifey. Like we need to like play the defense. But sometimes, and I'm sure you can agree with this. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, Matt. You get into flow and all of a sudden good stuff is happening left and right. And it almost Big gets time. uncomfortable. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, I'm like manifesting on overdrive right now. I think the universe like really likes me. And that's almost scary. It's like, wait, 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 this feels uncomfortable. I need to take a step back. But if you can notice that you're in flow in that moment and you are just an energetic magnet for what's happening in your life and what you desire, what do you think could happen if you ask yourself, wait a second, how much better can it get? Instead of like, when's the other shoe going to drop? What if you asked yourself, what if you dared yourself to expand and say, what if it could get even better? What if this is just the beginning? What if there's so much more? And allow yourself to go there and allow yourself to bask in the goodness of what's happening instead of pushing it away and immediately trying to get off of it because you're so scared because of whatever. Listen, for me, it's like shit that's been taken from me in my life. I have a lot of trauma around that, um, around accepting a lot of good things. 
right? Because I'm like, oh, something bad. But like just texted my husband this morning. Like we're like, oh my God, abundance. This is weird. It's flowing. So, like this opportunity, this opportunity. Whoa. And I was like, wait, how much better can it get? So much better. So let's step into it even more. So today you better believe I'm going to be like going for a wonder walk. I'm going to be doing a couple affirmations. I'm going to be saying gratitude. Thank you, God. Like, because I, not just because I need it because I'm at a low point, but because I actually need it because things are really ramping up. And I think that we often don't do it during that time. At least I never used to. And I'm trying to now. Yeah. I I resonate with this so much. I actually, I was in the studio having, or we were doing a podcast and I elaborated on a story, which is very similar to what you were just saying. Like so much good has been happening, happening in my life. Very uncomfortable, super uncomfortable, super, super uncomfortable, um, uncomfortable to the point where I had said that you mentioned God. So I feel comfortable sharing what I thought about this. I felt like God was expediting my growth through all of this good because where I was in my life was just comfortable where I wasn't feeling any of that um, uncomfortableness. Like it was just comfortable. So God was expediting my growth, which obviously when it's expedited, it doesn't feel good. Like you're just being forced into all of this good shit um, as opposed to just incrementally. And it's like your thermostat for what you can handle or what you feel like you're worth gets tapped out to a point. So that brings me to the question, like, how do you raise your ceiling? How did you say to yourself, okay, like, yeah, I'm getting close to what I feel like I'm worth, but I know like the good is still coming. Like, how do you raise that? It's so hard. Uh, a great book I'd recommend to you. I'm sure you've read it. Uh, the Big Leap by Gay, by Gay Hendricks. Hendricks. Yeah. I've had many so conversations good. with him. Yeah. Oh my God. So, oh, so good. I mean, <laughs> I, I revisit that book all the time because this is a real thing. It's a real issue. Um, I guess... <sighs> This is, I wish I had a great answer for you as far as like, how do I raise my ceiling? I raise my ceiling with visualizing a lot. I do a lot of visualization. Um, I do what I like to call wonder walks. I gave them that name because they needed a name because I did them all the time and they worked so well. I do wonder walks either to manifest something that I really want or to tap back into real gen and get really back into the pocket of who I truly am. And so there's two different ways to do this. If I was trying to overcome my ceiling, and, I, and I've, I've done this on purpose. I'm like, I feel like a really big block right now. I'm not expanding into like understanding that I'm worthy of this and I'm stopping myself. I'll go out for a walk and I'll just envision that I am the gen that has overcome it and surpassed it and achieved mm. so much more and had a new level of joy and happiness and excitement and enthusiasm. And I'd put on a song and like embody that girl, embody her and visualize her like she's walking back from the biggest event in her life, the most un- unbelievable moment, whatever that is. And I'll just start to walk around as that person. I move my body the way she moves. I think the way she thinks and I just get into her body and I visualize it. What's so crazy about this is the reason that I do it is not because I think that it works. It's because I know that it works because I have done so many wonder walks. I used to do wonder walks on the exact same, like right by the Hudson river where I walk now when I was single and I lived in a studio apartment, like a tiny little room on the Upper West Side. And I would do walks visualizing that I was holding the hand of my partner and that we were walking to our penthouse apartment with floor to ceiling windows and we worked together and I would visualize this. And now my husband and I do the exact same walk all the time. And he's really there holding my hand. And it's just, I've done so many, like I did it with my book, envisioning holding my book in my hand. And when I held my book in my hand, when I was doing Wonder Walks and I was trying to get my my book uh, in the hands of an amazing publisher, which we ended up 
getting Hay House, which is very ironic, publishing the book, crazy Louise Hay, all that. But I would do Wonder Walks and I would be holding my imaginary book. And at that time, I didn't know what the cover would look like. I had no vision for it. So I guess I had kind of a block on what it would look like to actually have a book and be a published author because I couldn't see the book. And I start doing this Wonder Walk as this author. I'm like, all right, I'm walking home from my book party. It was amazing. So many beloved. I've helped so many people with this book and I'm holding it in my hand. And all of a sudden I'm like, my book is black. It's black. I just saw a black book and I went home and I said to Chris, the cover of my book is black. And he's like, "Mm, I don't know if that's a great color for a book. And I was like, no, I'm telling you it's black. And then we did all of these designs for the book cover. None of them were black. And we were going to go with all these other different colors. And I was like, can you just mock up one that's black? And all of a sudden they did. And everyone was like, that's the book. Mm. It's just so amazing. And so I will do that. And then there's also a way to do wonder walks to tap back into a real you. So This is a little take it or leave it. I like to put on music that I used to listen to when I was a kid, like the Little Mermaid soundtrack or Annie or The Wizard of Oz or any kind of Disney musical or any kind of Broadway musical, really. And I will walk and listen and think about little me singing and dancing to those songs. Mm. And I'll feel so much love for Lil Jen that... I couldn't possibly hate on myself in the moment. And I'm just like, oh, that's who I am. That's why I'm that goofy girl that doesn't care, that is loud and proud. And and I love that little girl. And I think that that's a really fabulous exercise. I talk about it in the book. It's called Setting the Scene. But that's how you can do Wonder Walks. And and I I love that. that Yeah, that's a really awesome way to like see your inner child too. So I I appreciate that. That's something my background on my phone is little me. Oh, I can't even get it. But me, when I made my communion, if I wasn't on Do Not Disturb, I'd be able to show you. But I, yeah, just like second grade me, I always look at it every day and I'm like, all right, cool. But um, I want to try and tie something from the book into what we were talking about. So, you know, you mentioned your process to coming home. You said it was a long process. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't easy. But after you found yourself, how did you then find your voice? Like find your voice is like the first part of the subtitle. So like it's one thing to come home to yourself, but it's another thing to start knowing how to convey the message with confidence. I found my voice by practicing a shit ton. Okay. Getting good at what we practice. And I had to speak on a lot of stages, whether that is creating content, speaking on a stage for two minutes, introducing myself, putting myself in a room and introducing myself and telling people what I did, creating whatever it was, a website, a landing page, Mm. and getting it wrong. I got it wrong a lot. Like figuring out who I was. It was a process to come back to me because I had lost myself. I didn't know what my voice was anymore. I was like, is this my voice? Is this a voice that I think other people think that I should have? Am I trying to please someone? Am I being real? It was a process of trial and error and practicing getting comfortable with just being myself without really giving a shit if people liked it or not. And you don't get good at that, or at least I couldn't get good at it without practicing it a lot and having Mm. experiences where it felt out of alignment and like I wasn't speaking my truth. And then having those moments where it was like, I was so Jen at that event. And remember if when you have that moment where you're like, oh, I was so mad there. I was with my best friend. I was so me. That felt so in the pocket. That felt so right. Bottling that up and understanding and knowing and reflecting, that's where I'm me. Mm. And then bringing that to the next time. It's practice. It's reps. That's why I go live on Instagram every day to practice speaking to people as me. Because I know that the more that I can practice, better I'll get my messaging with my delivery, with my stories that I tell, with answering questions, with podcast interviews. I get better because I practice in front of a live audience all the time. And I practice it being me. And and the other really important thing is, is that when you are you, you found your voice and you're just being as mad as possible and I'm being as Jen as possible, there's going to be people 
that just don't like Jen. There's going to be people that are like, who is this girl? I don't vibe with her. She is not professional enough. She curses too much. She's like, her voice is too high pitched and loud. Whatever they say, like she, whatever. They don't like it. And that's amazing because as much as I want to attract people into my world that love everything that I have to say, I want to deflect people that don't because then they can go follow somebody else that they align with. And I think that that's fabulous because the problem with my brand when I was on the metal show was that I had attracted this tribe of people that were great people, but we had nothing in common. They liked me for a faked version of me. So I had to keep up that lie. Mm. I would so much rather now be like heavy metal people. I love you. You're incredible. Go follow a real metal girl, please. I'm not that girl. I'm not, (laughs) you know, like I'm not. So, and I I love you. I'll send you on your way or you could follow me for me. And if you like that, great. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. And even better because every no is really a yes. And you're just opening up a space for someone that I'm more aligned with that I'm going to be able to relate with and help and bring into the community and all of that way like easier and better. It's going to be better for everyone. Right. So, It leads me to ask you this, you know, you talked about comparisonitis earlier. Many of us experience that, including myself, without a doubt. And then you also bring up, you know, going through trial and error and understanding that like you might not get it right, like the first time, the second, maybe the 10th time or the 100th time. So combining those two, like a lot of us feel the fear of not getting it right because we're comparing ourselves to the people that look like they are getting it right. So what's your advice in that regard? So my first piece of advice is people that look like they're getting it right all the time. I promise you they're not behind the scenes. Mm. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, social media is built for us to connect with each other. Yes. But really it is a place for everyone to show the great things that are happening. Like why would everybody like want to go on social and talk about some people do, and that's great and vulnerable, but talk about a huge fight they got into with their spouse last night, Mm. you know, like and and post a photo about it. No one's going to do that. They're going to have the fight with their spouse. They're not going to post about it. They're going to post the next day when they are done with their fight, or maybe they were fighting and they didn't tell anybody, but they're like, just stand there and take the picture. You know, a lot of people that I talk to, a lot of them, my friends, like I'll be looking at them on social media and I'll text them. I'll be like, you're crushing it. Congratulations. It's going so well for you. Some of them are like, yes, thank you. It's amazing. A hundred percent. But some of them also say to me, Jen, this has been the hardest time in my life. Mm. I know it looks great, but this has been the hardest time in my life. And so I just want people to scroll with caution, knowing that. And it's not a bad thing that people do that. This is the world that we live in. It's okay. We all don't want to show our whole, all of our shit that we're going through in our life. And we're not, we don't have to do that either. However, we as consumers need to scroll with caution and understand that what people are showing is the highlight reel. They're not showing the behind the scenes what's really going on. And so it's important to check in on people if they're your good friends and family members. And the way that I like to do this with my community is I do post photos and videos of me speaking, creating content to provide value. If you look at my feeds, they're produced, they're like happy times, right? I do get vulnerable with some of my posts, but I go live every morning with no makeup on and share what's really going on so that the people that are really following can, I'll be like, listen, I am not feeling it today. I woke up in a shitty mood. So I made myself go to the gym. I really didn't want to. Right. So I I let people in on what's happening. And I feel like that's the way that I can do that and connect, but roll with caution Mm. and understand the last thing I will say about this is I think what's really happening, what's going on is people are comparing what I like to call like their chapter one or their beginning to somebody else's chapter 20. You go online and you see somebody's finished product, like your podcast. Podcast. You've been doing this podcast for how many years? Five. How long have you been doing this? Yeah, for Five a minute. Years. Yeah. So you go on and see your podcast. Lots of downloads, amazing interviews with huge people. And someone just starting a podcast would probably look at you 
and be like, I could never get there. And they would compare themselves to you and be like, gosh, how did he do that? Like, that feels like a shit. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Like, how can I possibly like start up? I want to get to where Matt is in a second. And maybe their, their downloads aren't going as well the first year. And they're like, why am I not where Matt is? You put in five years. Nobody's, and it's very hard to sit there and see all the work that you put in all of the smaller interviews that you had to do, all the hours that you had to put into the show notes and promoting it and reaching out to guests, all the no's that you may have gotten from people that you really wanted to be on the show that maybe said no to you, right? Like all the interviews that maybe didn't go as well as you wanted them to. We don't see that. We just see the end of all the hard work. And I want everyone to remember, if you are a beginner and you are starting out, everybody started at zero to Beyonce started at zero. We all did. We all did. You have to be willing to put in the work and it's really easy to not see all of the work that someone like you put into something amazing when they're just comparing their first day of their very first podcast ever and trying to make it like a five-year produced, you know, unbelievable podcast that's had years put in, into the making. You know right. Absolutely. A question's on my mind and I might need your help conceptualizing it. So, you know, you talked about finding your voice. It takes repetition, right? Like, you, you know, you, you have to put in the reps, you have to build the muscle. One thing that comes to my mind because this is something that I was very caught up in it. And I'm going to be honest, I just did it very poorly. Like I got way too caught up in it is hearing the term imitate to innovate, right? Like, you know, you see what's work, and this is years ago. I mean, you see what's working for Gary V or for Jen or for whoever. And then next thing you know, like you find yourself doing it. So in regards to finding your voice, like I don't personally think it's unhealthy to see someone else doing something and be like, you know what? Like that resonates with me to an extent. Where's the healthy balance? of imitating to innovate while you're finding your voice? This is a great question. There's a whole section in my book about this that I think some people will agree with and some people won't. So I'm actually excited for people to read it. And I've never heard the term imitate to innovate or I've never heard that, but I think it's really interesting. So here's the thing. I don't think there's ever like a super original idea that didn't stem off of something else. I don't know if if that's true. I think every idea has come from something else, whether it was inspired by something or it was copied directly or someone gave somebody the idea because of something that they did, every idea really was a version of some sort of idea that came from something that that person saw or was inspired by. Right. So we're all building this together, one inspiration step at a time. And I do think that FOMO or you know fear of missed opportunity or comparisonitis can be an unbelievable gift if you use it as fuel and you tap into being grateful for that person for inspiring you and giving you that desire. There are many people in our industry that I look at them and I'm like, whoa, I want to be like that. And I didn't even know I did. And so I have two options. I can either try to copy them exactly and be just like them. That doesn't really make sense because I'll talk about that in a second. I could be angry at them and jealous of them and annoyed with them and allow it to stop me from taking action because, oh, they did it and I can't. Or I could be unbelievably grateful that they are paving the way for me. And I can look and see at some of the strategies that they're doing. What are they doing that's working here? How can I make it gen? How could I, oh, okay, I see this social media strategy that this person's doing that it's working. Like Gary Vee, great example. He's out there doing it and teaching it. So mm-hmm. he's saying, everyone use my strategies. Great. I'm not going to go and do a post exactly like Gary Vee. I'm not Gary Vee. I'm not. It's not going to sound like me. It's going to sound fake. It's not going to feel good to me. But I could see the strategy that he's doing and I could say, how can I make this gen? How can I lean into, wow, I'm so grateful that Gary is putting all this stuff out there and he's becoming successful because he's teaching me a thing or two. I learned that a lot in my acting career, playing understudies and having to see somebody else play the role that I wanted to play and had to be like, listen, she clearly got the part because she's better than me and she's doing something right. So how can I learn from this? Not how can I copy this, but how can I learn from this and be grateful that this is an example, but put my spin. And 
the last thing I'll say on this is there's millions of people out there that are social media marketers. There's millions of people that are, that are doctors. There are a million interior designers. There are a million life coaches, probably more than a million, right? There's lots of them. How are you going to stand out from the crowd? Well, the only way that you're going to stand out is by being unique. And you're, everyone's very lucky because everyone is unique in exactly who they are. Problem comes when you try to be like somebody else, that's not unique. So the more you can lean into the stuff that makes you you, like Matt, your isms that only make you Matt, or your story, your specific start, how you got started, your family, your situation where you live, like your likes, your hobbies, the weird mannerisms you have, like that's the stuff that makes you you and makes you unique. And some people are only going to resonate with you because they see themselves in you too. And they're not going to resonate with the other podcaster that talks about the same thing and interviews the same people because they just really like Matt for who Matt is. But Matt, if you showed up and you were trying to be just like another podcast, Tim Ferriss, and you were imitating him because he clearly has success, you're not going to be successful because we already have Tim Ferriss. We're good. Agreed. Yeah. I love that. That's such an important reminder. I mean, I had to learn that the hard way, which is why I wanted to ask, like, ask that yeah. question. I was working with, with um, yeah, I, I was working with Damon John for, that was my first job out of college. I think I was with him for like three or four years. And I literally saw him doing everything we're talking about, like making millions of dollars, just speaking around the the world 200 plus times a year. And I'm like, you know what? I want to do this too. I started doing it. I'm like, wait, this is not for me whatsoever. Like I was just like, it was good to experience without a doubt, but like living someone else's life or doing what someone else's someone else does isn't always for us, you know? So it's important to identify that. So I appreciate you sharing that. I do want to talk about the book a little bit more in detail. We're kind of like bouncing around a little bit from it, but if people pick up this book and they can only take one thing away from it, what do you want that one thing to be? Ooh, that is a big one. So I will talk about the last chapter of the book. Okay. And I haven't on really any podcast except for one and yours will probably come out before that. So you'll get this story before anybody else. (laughs) Um, so when I was a little girl, I I wanted to be an actress was what I thought my purpose in life was from the second I like could speak, I was performing and I was like, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to sing and dance on stage. I'm going to be in movies. I'm going to be on TV. This is it. This is my purpose. I knew from a very, very young age that that was it. I spent my entire young adulthood pursuing that and thinking that I needed to read somebody else's lines, sing somebody else's songs, dance other people's moves and wait for somebody else to pick me, tell me I'm good enough in order to get a job and just be hustling to get the next job one after the next. I was like, this is going to be my life because this is my purpose. And I, that's it. And didn't actually like turn out that way, obviously. But here's the thing, the Steve Jobs quote, you can't connect the dots looking forwards. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. I love this quote because there's a lot of crazy shit that happened in my life. And if you're listening to this, I would bet there's a lot of crazy shit that's happened in your life, right? Uh, (laughs) VH1 heavy metal talk show, losing everything. I was a personal trainer. I was a life coach. I was a Hooters girl. I was a starving actress. I was in a Broadway national tour, the wedding singer. I was Linda. I traveled the country with that show and sang and danced all over the world. And there were so many ups and downs in my life. If if I were to hand you a resume, you'd be like, who is this girl? Just 85 different women. But here's the thing. None of those dots really connected or made sense in the moment. And they certainly didn't connect to my vision of my purpose of becoming an actress. In fact, my vision of becoming an actress never happened. And a lot of us think we need to have this one purpose and we need to fulfill that one purpose and we need to know the purpose and we need to fulfill it. And that is it. But what I learned from everything is sometimes that purpose is not your purpose, but it is 
on purpose because it needs to lead you to what's truly meant for you. So my dad, he's my biggest fan in the entire world. So I've got a great mom and I've got a great dad. Um, my dad, obviously, I told you in the beginning of this, he has multiple sclerosis. And so he can't travel to see me speak now. But when I was acting in high school and when I was a kid actor, like he was my biggest fan. He was in the front row of every show. He was like, Jenny, you're gonna, you're going from hallway to Broadway when we would perform in the hallway at, at, in high school. Like he, knew, he was like, I, I know what you're gonna be a star, like the best, biggest fan ever, president of the Jen Gottlieb fan. Now I'm clearly not an actor anymore. I'm a motivational speaker. And now I get to say my words on stage and I get to choose me and I get to make more money doing it than I did as an actor. And it is so much more fulfilling. And when I stand up on that stage, I'm actually like, whoa, this is way better. If I would have focused on that purpose that I thought I saw myself as and focused on being an actress, I would have never even realized and knew that this is here for me. And so my dad finally got to see me speak for the very first time because I spoke at an event in Florida where he lived. And he came, he's like, it was a big casino. And he walks to the cane. He's like, I don't care how, how big that casino is. I'm going to walk through that whole casino with my cane. And I'm going to get to the front row. and I'm going to watch you speak. I was speaking to all these real estate investors. So it's like, I was the only woman and it's like all these dudes. And like, I have them all like meditating and visualizing. And, and my dad is in the front row, like hysterically crying. I could barely hold it together while I was speaking. We get in the car and my dad looks at me and he's like, this is what it was all for. We would have never known that if we would have guessed Back in the day when you were trying to make it as an actor and you were getting rejected and you weren't getting the thing and you were so upset or you were on the road and I missed you, this is what it was all for. So when it comes to being seen and seeing your ideal future and being seen as that version of yourself that's the most fulfilled and in the pocket and happy and in it and feeling like, oh, I'm making an impact. Sometimes it's not what you initially think it is, but in order to get there, you need to be willing to fail, to mess up, to figure it out, to practice, to try something and it not work. And sometimes your path is going to lead you somewhere that is so much better than you could have ever imagined. And you don't even know unless you keep allowing yourself to show up and be seen. That's what this book is about. I love that. I love that. That is a really beautiful story. And I appreciate you sharing that. I'm a very emotional guy. So I'm glad I didn't start crying because I, I definitely could have. But um. We're going to make sure that the book is in the show notes of this episode. I do have a couple more questions before I let you go here. I asked you a ton of questions already, but I'm curious to know what's a question you wished more people would ask and how would you answer it? That's a good question. Um, do, do you always stump people with this question? Well, it, it's selfish, right? And I don't take you as a selfish person. It's like, I'm sure you get asked a million questions, whether it's in a community or on podcasts or wherever, but it's like, what's... Essentially, what I'm asking is like, what's something that you wished you talked more about? I love talking. What I just talked about, I don't talk about enough. Like, I think that's why I went on a tangent there. And I was like, I'm going to tell you the story. It's in the end of the book. And I don't really talk about it. Because the question that I get asked a lot is how do I find my purpose? And like, I'm stuck. I don't know what's meant for me. And taking action, there's a whole section in the book about the law of action. And, and everyone asks me, like, how do you manifest stuff? How do I manifest my purpose? How do I create things? And it really is about consecutive, consistent action, messy action, imperfect action, action, and you fail action and you win, action and nothing happens, action and you get embarrassed, action and you have so much feedback for yourself, action and you piss someone off, action and you really make someone's entire day. That is how we become who we're meant to be, not by sitting around and thinking about it. You can think about it. You can visualize all day long. You can plan it out in your head. That's great. I love visualization. I love my wonder walks. I love seeing it and feeling it as if it's happening. But all of that just helps the action steps be easier. That's what that does. It doesn't magically call anything to you. So it's like if you want to figure out your purpose or you want to see yourself in the way that you're meant to be seen, you're going to have to be willing to take action, even if it's uncomfortable 
or if it's scary, or you have to risk being failing and messing up and getting rejected and knowing and understanding this goes back to the very beginning of this podcast that you're gonna end up in your bed tonight Mm. no matter how uncomfortable the day was no matter how difficult the thing was that you had to do no matter what you will end up in your bed how do you want to feel like you did all the things or like you kind of phoned it in and you got to wait till the next day to start over and then you have less confidence in yourself because you're not the type of person that sticks to your commitment right I love that. Going back to the story that you had mentioned, I'm curious, like, what was it that made you feel like you wanted to be an actress? What was it? Like, was it just watching movies or was it something more than that? Mm, I think it was in me. I started Mm. talking at a ridiculously young age, like young, like before I could walk, I was speaking in full sentences and my parents thought I was like a genius. And so they had all these tests done. And I was not a genius. Like not even close. <laughs> I just had a really loud mouth and could and had a lot to say. I honestly think that I have this thing in me that I was born with. But then, of course, it was magnified by my parents' belief in me and my parents taking me to dance when I was in diapers and putting on all the movies all day. Annie, Little Mermaid, Wizard of Oz, Michael Jackson played a huge part in me wanting to be a performer and sing and dance. And I would just spend hours and hours and hours in my living room with my dad. He would video me and I would perform for hours. And I just loved it. And I still to this day, I mean, I remember I have a very, very vivid memory when I was about seven. It's, you know, when, you know, those, you know, those childhood memories. Oh, like, very it, much it, so. Yeah. It's like so clear. Like it's like, it was yesterday. I, I was performing in this children's theater group that toured around. It was pretty big theater. And we, I always wanted to be Annie. It was always my dream to be Annie, the orphan Annie. So I'll come out tomorrow. I never got to play Annie. The closest that I got to playing Annie was singing the songs from Annie in this group. And I was wearing like these bedazzled overalls and I was like singing the sun will come out tomorrow with all these kids. And I was just belting it out. I was looking at the audience. I saw my mom and my dad. And I was just feeling so alive. It was just in me. And then, then when we were done, they had everybody step forward and say their name and what they wanted to be when they grew up. And I remember stepping forward and like the lights are on me and I'm just like, I'm Jenny Gottlieb. And when I grow up, I want to be a Broadway star and declaring it and being so proud. And I remember in that moment saying to myself at like seven or eight or however old I was, this is the best feeling in the whole wide world. And there is nothing that I want to do other than this for the rest of my life. I remember still. And now when I'm on stage speaking, I feel that and I see that girl and I hear her and I'm like, this is the best. It's so different than what I thought it was going to be. It's really, that's it for me. I've just always loved it. I'm a performer at heart. I think I was just born that way. It's very much so aligned. It's it's crazy. And I, I just shared this recently, like how we can have a goal and we can be attached to what that goal looks like, but we have to have like an openness to how it actually comes to fruition. The example I used was like, I had a goal of wanting to move the podcast into a studio. While we haven't done that full time, we're obviously recording this like remote. I had to accept the fact that the podcast is in a studio. Does the studio look exactly how I want it to look? No, it doesn't. I don't own the building. I I rent the studio. Like there's so many differences, but like how things come to fruition in our life, like, you know, pretty wild. So I appreciate you sharing that story. I think it's beautiful and definitely gives people a lot to think about. And with the couple minutes I have you left, I have to ask you this question. So I stole this from Stephen Bartlett. I always 
give credit where credit's due. He asks his guests or a past guest to ask a future guest a question. Now, I'm not going to tell you who asked you this question, and they also didn't know they were asking it to you. But funny enough, the podcast I was just watching of you was with this person. I did not know it was going to happen like this. It's wild. It's very wild. The person had asked you, what is the biggest weakness holding you back currently? And I'll give you their answer. They said their biggest weakness is time. I don't know if time would be a a weakness of mine because time is like outside of me. Yeah. Maybe it would be my ability to manage my time Mm. and my ability to prioritize my time. But no, I think that my biggest weakness is would probably be still a little bit of limiting beliefs on how far I can stretch. And that goes on to like what we were talking about today. Um, I think that I probably have a cap as to where I feel like it can be, whether Mm -hmm. I like to admit it or not. And I think that I am not fully stepping in to that next level yet in the way that I would tell somebody else to. So I think that that is a journey that I will continue to be on and I will let you know how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) I very much so resonate with your reply there. By the way, that was Dr. Gabrielle Lyon who asked that question. Uh, She's my best friend. (laughs) We have these matching rings. Yeah, she was just on the pod last week. So did not know you would be the next guest. I didn't look. but Oh my God, I can't wait to tell her that it was her question that I answered. That's crazy because we always talk about that like we're soul sisters from the universe, like connected in in a weird way. And there's another great example. So now the next part of this is for you to ask a question to the next guest. And truthfully, I don't know who it is, so I can't even give you a hint. Okay, my question is, what is one thing that you know will move the needle for you, but you're too afraid to do it. I love that. What's your answer to that question? I don't know if I'm afraid. Well, I guess the fear is in everything. So I guess that, yeah, because if I wasn't afraid, then I would do it. I think I need to, now I'm on this podcast with you. I'm seeing how impactful good conversations can be. I am not, I have a podcast, but I'm not focusing on it at all. And I think that it is a place where for some reason I have some sort of a block with producing a podcast and having guests on. It's just me. It's a great podcast. And usually it's my get ready with me's in the morning that I record and I, and I repurpose and I put on there and it's kind of like an afterthought. I'm getting more and more of a feeling that I need to lean into that. And there's some kind of a block. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is, but yeah. that's probably it. And, okay. uh, and we're going to do it. I love Thank that. I love that. I, I love always that. try to try to be as honest and open with you as humanly possible. <laughs> I'm like, really? What is it? Maybe it's that. Oh, I love that. All right. Last question for you. If Jen makes it to whatever year she wants to live to, she hops on as many stages, she impacts as many people, she helps people find their voice, everything that you want to do, you do. But I can only remember you for one piece of advice. Now, I'm not asking you like from a legacy perspective. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking like if I walk past your tombstone, that's the piece of advice that's like etched into it. A mentor said this to me, so I can't even take credit for the quote, but it is something I'm always reminding myself of. When you love yourself as much as you care what other people think of you, you'll change your life and you'll truly be free. That's powerful. That's a mic drop moment. That is amazing. Jen, I want to say thank you. Reminding everyone that Be Seen, the link to that is in the show notes of this episode, as well as like socials, all of that good stuff. But thank you so much for this opportunity. This was awesome. I do have to say, this is one of my favorite interviews. You're very good at what you do. I I want to acknowledge that big time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Really fun. Thank you so much. And you have just wrapped up an all new episode with Jen Gottlieb on the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success, where she teaches us how to find our voice, build our brands, and live out our dreams. Circling back to what was mentioned earlier, knowing that you finished this episode, you hear my voice still, I can only assume you found this to be a value, impactful, entertaining, engaging, whatever it may be. I have to request and urge you to share this episode to be the beacon of light in someone's life. 
There's something within this episode someone you know, someone you love can use, something they need to hear. So share this and deliver them that good good. As always, check Jen out in the show notes of this episode, her socials, websites, where you can get her new book, all of that good stuff in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, new episodes every week, every Wednesday. We never skip a beat. Join us next week. Until then, be blessed. Peace.